Well, good morning. Happy New Year. What's the matter here? Thank you, Paul. All right. Can always count on Paul. <laughs> I got to tell a funny story on Paul. Last night, I got a text from him at 5 o'clock at night. And he said, hey, Fred, I just pulled up an email from late December that said something about elders preaching on January 2nd. I'm not one of them, am I? <laughs> and man, I had an opportunity to really give it to him, but I was nice. I said, you're, you're not up this time. Well, my name is Fred, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to, to sit with you this morning and to kind of follow up on last week where we took some time to reflect back over 2021, and now we start this week to look forward to 2022 and uh, uh, really looking forward to see what God is going to do in our lives. Uh, we're calling these next couple of weeks New Year, Same Vision. New Year, same vision, and our heart around here is to love Jesus and to make disciples. And sometimes in our church world, we kind of throw that term around, disciple, without really taking time to, to consider what that, what that means. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we even, you know, a lot of times point to the Great Commission where Jesus said, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And uh, we don't always uh, do a good job of explaining what that means. So today we've got uh, with us Larry Alm, our elder chairman, and uh, Neil Gammon, who is an elder in the candidacy process, which we're excited about. And uh, in a little bit, we'll hear from Dean Jensen, one of our other uh, elders by video, um, as we kind of dig a little bit deeper to understand what a disciple is around here. Uh, I want to begin with a little bit of background because we want to be crystal clear what we mean. And in fact, um, what it means to be a disciple is really embedded into our vision statement. And that, in, that vision statement is, ha, isn't that nice? Uh, that we are aspiring, inspiring multi-generational communities towards a lifetime of three things. Number one, following Jesus. Number two, building community. And number three, seeking the transformation of our homes neighborhoods, and the world. And, and this really describes these three different lifestyles in these three relationships of who a disciple is. And I want to just kind of hit on these three real quick. The first relationship is a relationship with Jesus. We take a posture around here of, of finding life and following after King Jesus. And much of, of how we learn about what that means and how to do that uh, comes from the Bible, from God's word to us. A second relationship is with other believers, this idea of community. Um, you know, Psalm 16 talks about how delightful are the relationships among the saints. And I'm just so thankful that God invented something that he's called the church for us to build these relationships with one another. And then finally, we're looking for relationships with those who have yet to treasure Jesus. And uh, it, it, it kind of comes out of a reflection and overflow of our own joy in Jesus and our own joy that we experience in our relationships one and with one another. And we want to invite others to experience those as well. It's not that people out there are projects or we're trying to fix people. That's really not our motivation at all. But it comes from what we just got done singing about, about what God has done in our life to transform us as we talked about uh, a year ago, as we went through the book of Ephesians, that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead at the bottom of the ocean. 
but by God's grace, he made us alive in Christ. And that is something so special that we want to uh, share for others to experience. And as I've been talking, Phil has very well built this Venn diagram on the slides. And this idea of a disciple is really that sweet spot in the middle where we're experiencing these three relationships, these three uh, key lifestyles in our lives together. We read in Colossians chapter 1, uh, 15 through 17, this, this is a, a couple of verses that really describes these three relationships well. Uh, Paul wrote this, he said, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. We're going to come back to this passage a couple more times this morning, but in verses 15 and 16, we see this lifestyle of following Jesus where Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And those, those expressions really describe this personal relationship that we have uh, in Christ. To find that peace in our hearts, to let the word of Christ, the Bible, dwell in us richly. Uh, so important. So Larry, I'm going to turn things over to you for a few minutes. Why don't you start by uh, telling us more about this lifestyle of following Jesus and what that means to you? Well, it's interesting that our first song talked about a testimony, and I want to give a testimony of how, uh, in a in a, diff a particular struggle in 2021, um, I really needed the Word of Christ mm. to give me the peace of Christ. Um, I know from many conversations that I've had with many of you that. Uh, a lot of us have struggled with the same issues. As a citizen, I was increasingly distressed by the direction being taken in government policies. But here at Hillcrest, as an elder, I had to help make hard decisions regarding how to respond to COVID mandates. And you probably know that the elders based their decision on what we studied in 1 Peter 2 last year, from verses 13 to 17, which said, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. My problem wasn't accepting that Peter got this from Jesus, that he developed this theology by what Jesus had taught him, but I didn't know what Jesus said that helped him to develop that theology. And, and that was where I was really struggling. 
I was also profoundly influenced by two other ideas that we studied in First Peter. One, that we are sojourners, exiles, that this world is not our home. And he also said that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That was comforting, but despite that comfort, I can't just bail out and wait for heaven. I had to find what Jesus commanded. What do the words of Christ teach me that they taught to Peter? And uh, next slide, Phil. Uh, These two commands are what I found that have guided me. Uh, it's from Matthew 22:15 to 21. And it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. I'd probably always tended to simplify these two commands to the question of paying taxes, but I see that there's a whole lot more there. I think that Jesus was really addressing the heart, not our actions. I realize now that these commands are really about ownership. It addresses how I can be happy while living under an evil authority. And I've come to believe that this is the command that Jesus intended. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's as an act of rendering to God what is God's. You may not agree, but please hear me out. Uh, Next slide, Phil. Um, I believe that there is an unmistakable assumption in the second command, render to God the things that are God's. That assumption is that everything is God's. God has supreme authority over everything. So the authority he gives to Caesar is still under his supreme authority. I'll give you an example. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? But Jesus responded, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So God gave Pilate the authority to kill his son. 
Therefore, what is Caesar's is still God's. And Fred uh, mentioned the Great Commission. And before Jesus commanded the disciples to go and make disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God has supreme authority over everything, and he has given that authority to Jesus. All authority on earth belongs to Jesus. Therefore, what is Caesar's still belongs to Jesus. There are four things that that I pulled from this. The first, rendering to Caesar is rendering to Jesus. The fact that God owns everything and has all authority in the universe puts the first command under the second. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's becomes a subcategory of render to God all the things that are God's. All is God's. Therefore, what is Caesar's is God's. Therefore, I believe rendering to Caesar what is his must be seen as an expression of rendering to God what is God's. This was all important in my understanding of how I can be utterly devoted to Jesus as Lord and live happily in a world with Caesar or any other authority. The second point is about when Caesar demands what God forbids. Even though human authority is ultimately from God, it doesn't always act according to God's word. The Caesars were definitely evil. Our governments are corrupted and growing even farther from God's guidance. So Caesar may demand what God forbids. Jesus warned the disciples of impending persecution, even death, when Caesar demanded allegiance that could only be given to Jesus. He also told them, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's how I see it working. I should do what Caesar says, since he has his authority by God's design. But I must never give any allegiance to Caesar that demands that I do not render supreme allegiance to God. Third, we submit to Caesar to acknowledge the supreme lordship of Jesus. I render obedience to Caesar when I can, not because he is Lord, but because our Lord Jesus commands me to. To put it another way, my obedience to Caesar takes Caesar off his throne because I'm really expressing my obedience to the lordship of Jesus. I want to give you an example of how I see this works when the law is not just. Jesus told his disciples, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
This is, uh, it would seem to be really passive, but I want to give you an example that, that I've experienced when, when this was not passive. Um, I knew a young woman, a brand, brand new Christian, who had a friend who was seeking abortion. And she thought that the right thing to do was to be compassionate and to be a good friend. And and this friend had no one else. She was going to go to the abortion clinic with her. But this is a case where it's like going the extra mile. But we don't go the extra mile when the person is intending to shed blood. And so that's where we, we lose that passivity and resist the evil one. And the fourth point, the greatest battle is to be brokenhearted in our resistance. Jesus submitted to crucifixion willingly to save his enemies. Knowing that I'm a forgiven sinner should take the arrogance out of my resistance to authority. And if I must disobey Caesar for the sake of love and justice, I need to first remove the log from my own eye. And that should soften my indignation into a humble and quiet no. The greatest battle I face is not overcoming unjust laws, but becoming the kind of person who has been freed to live in this world as a citizen of another kingdom. I won't be either escaping the world or conforming to it, but trying to live out the radical difference that King Jesus makes in every relationship, including my relationship with the state. And I still still sometimes struggle with this, but I can always come back to this and be happy following Jesus even when Caesar seems to be in control. I know he's not. Thank you, Larry. I uh, appreciate how you're taking that following Jesus, the word of Christ dwelling in you richly as you unpacked that process for yourself of how that applies to our life today. And, uh, and so that's a great example of that. And thankfully, though, uh, God did not call us to do this all on our own, but has really called us to follow Jesus in the context of community with one another. And uh, Neil, you have been a life group leader around here for a long time. You're, you're taking that next step to invest in the leadership of our church and your process of, of becoming one of the elders around here. And uh, would you kind of unpack for us a little bit more about what it means to have relationships in community? Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Fred. Um, so when we start to look at building community, it's, it's really a biblical calling um, when it comes down to it. When you take a look at uh, the Word, there are many examples throughout the Word that really lead towards uh, life and community. So, Phil, if you want to hit the next slide, please. So as we, um, you know, just look at a couple of the examples uh, from the words, so we look at Matthew, and Matthew, um, of course, talks about Jesus, and he says, wherever two or three are gathered, I will also be there. And so, obviously, he's talking about groups of people in community, and that's where Jesus will be. 
We look at the New Testament and, and all the books in the New Testament and the writings and how the authors really were addressing churches. They were addressing groups of fellow believers. And so you see once again that, that real call to community there. And even the Lord's Prayer, when you, you think about that, our Father, not, not my Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. So you can see throughout the word that um, there's a real calling as believers to, to not do this alone, as Fred said, but to do this as a community, to, to, to work together, to worship together, and to, to love on one another. And so with that, uh, with that said, you know, it's, it's kind of tough for me to say that as being a natural introvert. I, I, mm. I typically, um, you know, really recharge my batteries mostly when, uh, when I have some downtime, some alone time. Um, but at the same time, I see the, the real value in community. I grew up in a home where uh, my parents were, uh, became believers a little later in life. They were in their mid-30s. And so, um, you know, didn't necessarily grow up uh, completely from a, um, a church biblical perspective, but started to, obviously, when they became believers, started to make that transition. Um, so attended, <coughs> excuse me, so attended churches um, uh, down in the south where I grew up, and uh, the, most of the church, uh, it was more about services. So you'd attend Sunday mornings, we had Sunday school, we had Wednesday evening services, but it was less community-driven. It, it was more about the corporate uh, worship model is, is what we practice. But fast forward to about 15 years ago when we came to Hillcrest, and it was very different and, and felt very welcoming. And the reason for that is because of the community feel that we have here and the biblical saturation uh, the, and the understanding of that and how this community comes together around that. And so, um, so with that, you know, Hillcrest does provide a lot of different opportunities for community. So, Phil, if you want to hit the next slide there. Um, because uh, we are such a firm believer in building community, you have um, the, certainly the student ministries, middle school and high school ministries. We have Joy Connect. We have um, uh, men's and women's ministries as well uh, that you can participate in. Um, you can serve with others in different ministries. There's mentoring opportunities to be able to have one-on-one -on -one relationships. So it's not just necessarily groups of people, but even those one-on-one -on -one relationships. And of course, life groups, which is such a key piece to how we build community here, here at Hillcrest. And so um, just starting to think through that a little bit, fill the, the next slide there. So as we think about community and what that really means and includes, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of parts and pieces that go along with that, but it's really about multi-generational uh, relationships. I, I think about our life group, and we have a, a collection of different people, different backgrounds, uh, different statuses as far as uh, married, single, whatever. Some have kids, kids have moved on, um, but we all come from, from different backgrounds but can come together and, and uh, study the Word together but also live together uh, in a community-type basis and, and, learn to, and, and learn to love one another uh, from where we come from but also learn and grow with each other as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, just thinking about that and, and just being able to lean on one another in, in times of struggle. Um, you think about prayer support and being able to bring each other, uh, bring each other's needs before the Lord and be able to do that as a group. Um, just there's, there's such value, uh, and I certainly treasure that uh, in my own life. And then just being able to serve each other in community as well and, and just really support each other, especially in the tough times. Just real quick example. 
um, this last December actually was pretty challenging for our family. We had uh, quite a few illnesses go through the home, including COVID. Um, and so uh, we're struggling with that. But as soon as we um, identified, um, you know, we've, we've got some illnesses in the house, uh, within probably a couple hours, we had a couple of meals uh, show up on our doorstep. Um, we had, and those were people not just from our life group, but other people in the church. And in, and in some cases, people from other churches that we happen to know as well. So it's not even just this community. It's the overall body of Christ in the community that stretches well beyond just the walls of Hillcrest. And so um, when you start to think about community and building community, uh, even though I'm the introvert, uh, I still see the value there and, and definitely encourage those that um, maybe haven't made that step yet, take advantage, get involved, uh, get connected with others. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities, and I would definitely encourage you to do that. Mm, thanks, Neil. Yeah, great, uh, great example in your own life, how the community is coming around. And I want to jump back to this Colossians chapter 1 uh, passage uh, as we talk about having these relationships and community. Uh, Paul wrote in, in 15 and 16, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. In one body. Be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then you hit on some of the one another's, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And, and that's a great reminder that we're not called just to be one body made of many parts. Uh, or I mean, sorry, we are called to be a one body made of many parts, not all these different parts that are separated and distanced from one another. And uh, so very, very important. Um, Colossians 15 and 16, or actually it's verse 17, as we jump into our third relationship here, uh, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as we've been learning about through the book of James that we've studied this fall and we'll pick up here again in a couple of weeks, God calls us to be hearers of the word and doers of the word, not just uh, on our own as individuals. And friends, not just even in these beautiful relationships of our church community, because we don't want to only become a holy huddle. I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you as an introvert, somebody who leans in that direction. I just love spending time with my Christian brothers and sisters. But God calls us to go beyond those walls and into the world around us. And so uh, we're going to hear from Dean in, in just a second here on video um, some of his experience of what it means to uh, develop this third relationship as we seek the transformation uh, in the lives of those around us. So let's hear from uh, Dean Jensen. Hi. My name is Dean Jensen, and I'm an elder here at Hillcrest. And today I get to talk to you a little bit about seeking transformation and really having a heart for that. And it hits me and my wife also because we came to faith later in life. Um, we grew up thinking that, you know, you need to be good enough uh, to get into heaven, but what good enough was kind of unclear at times. And some of that ended up resulting in actually taking joy away because you never know, am I doing enough? And not knowing that would pull joy away and it would stop me from seeking Jesus uh, because I would never know and he probably would never accept me anyway. And I would look for joy in things that weren't in Jesus and the worldly joys. And those, in the end, they are all empty. 
Um, they would not last, and oftentimes they were detrimental to myself, uh, to my wife, to our marriage. And it really added a lot of pain for both Lisa and I. And that kept going until one day Lisa was out and someone started a relationship with her, seeking her transformation. We didn't know it at the time. But she talked a little bit about Jesus. She had a lot of joy and invited Lisa to come to Hillcrest. And I remember when Lisa came back from that first trip to Hillcrest, how excited she was. She said, you know, they preach out of the Bible. Um, they talk about joy and they live joy. And they talk about a relationship with Jesus, which we never really knew growing up, Lisa and I. And that was, it was life-changing at that point. And then I would, afterwards, I attended Hillcrest and saw the same thing. And just seeing that joy that I thought was elusive and how would you ever get that, seeing that with people here, uh, it, it, again, it, it was part of my faith journey. I wouldn't have never came to Christ without God's grace and his love. But alongside of me were people from Hillcrest who had that heart for seeking transformation and I could see their joy. All I could think of is if that person talking to Lisa didn't have joy in her heart, and it was kind of like, oh, the weight of the world, the weight of sin. And if I came to uh, Hillcrest and I just saw people who, who were downtrodden by the brokenness of the world, that wouldn't, it wouldn't have succeeded. God would have succeeded eventually. But having that joy and seeing that joy and then have somebody with a heart to seek transformation was so pivotal in our lives, Lisa and my life. That's what we really want to continue at Hillcrest. And I, I look forward to him. And people will ask, you know, once you've accepted Christ, is that, you know, is it, is it still hard? Do you still have joy? And it's kind of like, yeah, I do. Well, do you find joy in the hard things? And our hard things for us are like after we became a Christian, I lost my job. Lisa's health has been going down. And she used to have to have like a walking stick to help her walk. Then it turned into a walker. Now it's mostly a wheelchair. And people go, how do you find joy in that? And the way we find joy in that is we know the end game. The end game is glorious. Um, and do we pray for Lisa's health? Do we pray for continued employment? You bet we do. Prayer is the work. But we find such joy because we know we're in his hands. And people will see that. And as you look to seek people, them seeing that joy is going to intrigue them, it'll confuse them, uh, but it'll intrigue them. And they'll come into this church, just like Lisa came into the church and I came into the church, because somebody was seeking transformation and they had joy. And that's so important to keep having that leak out of you, having that joy leak out, and then having that seeker mentality. It's kind of like the Packers, Rodgers and uh, Adams, if for those who are Packer fans. What a great combination. And it takes both of those, that seeking mentality and the joy. Um, and the problems still come out, and they're still there. But one thing I'll talk with people about is, if you have a problem here, and you have Jesus here, and the question is, do you put the problem in front of Jesus? So you're always looking at your problem, and you know Jesus is there to catch you. But in effect, that's not a lot of joy. The joy comes, you flip it. I see Jesus, that's what I look at. My problem's back here. It starts to disappear. The problem does. Make sure you look through Jesus first. And to me, that's what brings joy. Having that joy 
is what people will, it will attract people. And that's what we want to do at Hillcrest. We want to bring people to know life with Jesus one life at a time. So make sure we do that. Um, another thing that I get to do here at Hillcrest, related but different, is teach the membership class and the baptism class. And that's so cool because you get to see the newer believers and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. And that's neat because I get to know them more on an individual basis. They're smaller classes. And they get to ask questions. It's a very focused discussion where they can dig deeper. Um, and again, I get to share some of my joy with them. And the thing that I like to remember also with that class is they would have never been there if someone wasn't seeking them and asking them to attend Hillcrest for the first time. Just like Lisa, it's repeating my story and Lisa's story. And it's a good memory for me to make sure I continue to go out, seek a mentality, and have that joy leak out. Just like all of us, just because I'm an elder doesn't mean, oh, only Dean and the elders can do this. Everyone can do that. That's one of our core values at this church, is seeking that transformation with joy. You need them both. And then, of course, saturated in prayer. So that's uh, what I'd like to talk about today. And I want to wish everybody a happy new year. And I can't wait to see the things that uh, God puts in front of us this year. Hmm. Thanks. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Uh, it is such a gift to be, to be led by these guys. Uh, Larry, uh, Neil, Dean, and then Paul and Brian and David, of course, uh, as an elder-led church around here. And really need to see how, how each of them are growing in their own lives to become more like Christ and to develop in their own sense of being a disciple. And uh, for, for me, as I reflect back, it's, it's really hard to believe that Jennifer and I have been part of the Hillcrest family now for uh, over 27 years. And it's been such a gift and a privilege for the last 16 years to get up in the morning and come to work and be one of the pastors here to get to work with all my friends. And uh, it's been fun for Jennifer and I as, as we're going through a transition in our own lives from raising our kids to now having four adult kids who are, are on their own. The house is emptier and quieter. And, uh, and that's meant a lot of change for us. And yet we're working in our own lives to rely more and more on God's word, to find the, the wisdom that we need in, in now being parents to adult kids. Um, we, we love spending time in the community around here. I, we had an opportunity just this last month to really receive tons of love and grace uh, from the members of our life group. And that was a real joy. And Jennifer and I, in our own lives, are still finding places where we can seek these relationships outside of the church. Uh, in our, I can't say in my, uh, in my workplace, right? Hopefully not. But, uh, but uh, for Jennifer, working in the schools, she's got tons of relationships with others, working in our neighborhoods. I love how Maxine put it a couple of weeks ago on her video where she wants to be Jesus with skin on to the people around her. And so Jennifer and I are working on those things uh, in our own life as well. And we want to kind of leave you with a couple of takeaways to encourage you to do the same in these three different uh, key lifestyles and key relationships in your life. Um, so let me just, I'm just going to kind of throw out a lot of questions for you to, to think through and to contemplate uh, in your own lives. How are you joyfully following Jesus these days? 
How are you joyfully fo following Jesus these days? I, I know we live in a world um, that's got a lot of things going on, and there are some things out there that are trying to steal your joy. But in what ways are you seeking and finding that joy? Uh, secondly, as we build community, um, who are you spending time with around here? Who are you intentionally apprenticing, which is going to come up next week as David hits on some of our values? Um, who are you building into, either in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, in the context of a life group, or in any number of other ways, as, as Neil talked about uh, here at Hillcrest? And finally, we talk about, a lot about um, this concept of, of pray, watch, and step. And so, as you reflect on your life right now, who are you praying for in your circles? Maybe someone who has yet to treasure Jesus. And are you actively watching for those opportunities and, and asking God to give you courage when you have those opportunities to take that relationship one more step, to actually step into that and, uh, and, and continue to build those relationships? So as we wrap up uh, our time with you today, I want to... Um, uh, just be encouraged that God has been and is going to continue to do some great things in our lives individually, uh, in our lives corporately, and in the lives of those around us. Um, next week, J uh, David is going to kind of share part two of this New Year, same vision concept as he talks about our five core values around here. Um, these values reflect our most deeply held ideals, things that are not up for debate or compromise. Um, and having these values is really important because it helps us to focus our time and our energy, um, both as, as leaders, but also people serving in ministry. Um, it helps us to uh, guide these decisions based on how do we use the time, talent, and the treasure that God has given to us and then these values help to encourage and propel us to find these relationships um, outside of our church walls. Uh, we talk a lot about living uh, the life of a disciple Monday through Saturday, not just on Sundays. And so we're looking forward to having David back next week uh, to, um, to continue this discussion of New Year, same vision. So thank you to both of you for uh, joining us today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and your grace uh, over these last 32 years at Hillcrest Bible Church. Thank you for the men that you have placed as elders to oversee your church and to help lead us and guide us into this future, into 2022 and beyond. Father, we ask you for your help by your spirit for each of us individually and for us as a church family together to love Jesus and make disciples in 2022. Help us to grow in our relationship with Christ, with one another, and with those in our homes, our neighborhoods, and the world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.